Yeah, but I would say Annihilation is one of the best movies Marvel's produced. movies at the bar a podcast about bar movies and exponential decay uh my name is thomas and tonight i am joined as always by my co-host bethy squires bethy how's it going i'm doing well how are you feeling really good feeling vaguely self-destructive how about you Oh, uh, I fully dissembled my sense of self. I am merely an aggregate of behaviors. It's tight. Great. That's topical. We're so excited tonight to be joined by Maddie Connors, who is uh, a wonderful comedian and writer, uh, someone who's made me laugh many times and who's written incredible pieces. Uh, Most recently, something in the New York Times that I thought was terrific. Maddie, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. This is so fun. I'm so excited to get into this. You know, we've got lots of stuff we like to talk about at the top, but uh, Maddie picked uh one of my favorite movies for tonight we're going to be talking about alex garland's yeah of all time i think i think annihilation is is one of the only movies i can think of from the last five years that consistently sort of wow me that i've revisited so many times since they've come out um and uh, it reveals something new every time I agree. I completely agree. It's so like rare, I think, to like for people to have a favorite movie coming out within the last five years, but I'm really glad that you love it. It is a movie I, I connect with deeply, and uh, I think a really, a really negative trait uh, is when people are so connected to uh, something like a movie or a record to the point where uh, if someone else talks shit about it, they take personal offense. And I really try to avoid that. But Annihilation is a movie from which I have very little critical distance. I'm not really able to practice what I preach with this one. So when I found out this movie was kind of divisive, I was like, oh, no, I don't I don't even want to hear it. <laughs> I, it's like Annihilation's My Ted Lasso, where if someone tries to <laughs> criticize it, <laughs> I lose my mind and come after them on Twitter over fictional characters. Uh we should say part of, I think, why Thomas is foregrounding his emotional connection to the film is because, like, an hour before recording, Thomas sent me a screenshot of my own Letterboxd review and was like, are we going to fight? Are we about to fight right now? And my to, to clarify, my Letterboxd review was just, I wish this was weirder. It's not saying I didn't like it. It's just that I wish it was even weirder. But that's enough, apparently. Thomas has started boxing recently, so he's gotten more <laughs> more punchy. Uh, he's unleashed the beast inside of himself. And uh, this might come to blows, e-blows, because we're all on a Google hang right now. But we'll see. Yeah, I'm in, like, this weird, delirious haze because I, uh, like Bethy said, I've been to one boxing class, um, but I am uh, demonstrably committed to it through tweets and, uh, you know, bringing it up in every conversation. But 
This morning was boxing class number two at 6.30 a.m. So I, like, planned last night around it. I made sure I watched Annihilation early enough. I made sure I was in bed by 11. I knew I was going to wake up and have that punching power. And so I got up. I walked to this boxing class. I waited patiently outside, wrapped my hands, only to realize that the class did not start at 6.30 a.m., but 6.30 p.m. And so (laughs) my day is like super off balance, but that is a a totally acceptable headspace for talking about Annihilation. Did you go back at 6.30? Were you too embarrassed? I was I was not too embarrassed. I really wanted to go, but it's just uh it's 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 a, a nutty week for me. But something that happened right before we started recording was I got added to the boxing slack, which I think will <laughs> I think will prove to be one of the defining moments of my life. Uh, but you know, it remains to be seen. I could be getting ahead of myself. Can I ask what the vibe is in the slack? Any any observations? Yeah, here's what the vibe in the Slack is like. Uh, they made it today. <laughs> I was the most eager person and the first one to accept the invitation. So it's just me and the guy who uh, instructs the class. I can't wait. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm like real, real dweeb in this boxing class. Bef- before we get into the film, before we get into, Maddie, what your relationship is to watching movies in bars, what's everybody's Slack persona, their Slack-sona like? How are you on Slack? What's your vibe? I, I personally, and this is probably something unlikable about me, I put no effort into my Slacks because <laughs> I'm like, I'm taking back you know, reseizing power from mm. the capitalist man. Um, so I don't even have like an emoticon. I just have like the man in Slack. Really, really creepy, freaky stuff. Wow. Um, and I, I, yeah, but I feel like, I feel like I'm very conversational. Like, hey, with an estimation point, when that away luggage article came out, I was like, I don't think she's actually that mean. I think, well, she's mean, but like her Slacks were so um, declarative that I'm like, this is a writing style that she chose. If that makes sense. Totally. I'm 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 not quite as committed to like a Slack anti persona. Like I don't really have a Slack praxis, although I think I'm going to follow your lead moving forward, except for in my boxing Slack where I'm actually just very happy <laughs> to be there. But baby. uh at no, anytime anytime I've been in a professional Slack, it's very utilitarian, not really trying to have a goofy time in there. Uh, yeah. I think that's poison. Oh, I'm poison. Uh, well, I should just say I'm a Gemini and leave it at that. I <laughs> am definitely the person doing bits in the Slack. I am leaving pertinent reaction emojis in the bottom. I have stopped using the Giphy function. I've moved beyond <laughs> that. The first Slack that I was in, though, no, that wasn't the first Slack. The second Slack I was in was very formative. The Adam Ruins Everything Slack channel. That one was like... Uh, performative, bit heavy, silly. It was a good time. It was a free for all in there, and it was very into finding exactly the right GIF and using exactly the right um, emojis to react to things, and like creating new channels for when you want to like recommend music to your friends. And then you have uh, heavy or not heavy metal, just called Metal Fridays. It was me and Sam Roudman just just linking a bunch of different YouTubes of different like stoner metal bands in the Slack. And nobody, this was a bit for just me and Sam. Nobody else liked this. We were just did like, you ever, hey. uh, did you ever drop goblin smoker in the chat? 
I did dope smoker, but not goblin smoker. I did goblin and dope smoker, but never goblin smoker. Goblin smoker is pretty sick. Okay. Uh, that's, that's one for the listeners who want stoner metal with kind of a reptilian hiss. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is, sorry, this is well outside that's of me. what we're normally talking about. That's what I want. <laughs> Uh, I sorry. I have one Slack anecdote, not to get us too off uh, track, but I I knew having fun in a workplace Slack was not for me when I was working at a small company and they circulated like a a really deep personality inventory where you filled out like a hundred questions and it told you which like dozen characters from pop culture you are, Um, and it was mostly like whatever stuff but one of mine was dobby the house elf (laughs) um and i i thought that was funny i thought i was like getting ahead of it by drawing attention to the fact that like i rolled a fucking dobby but i put that in the slack and a boss who was not very nice made it a point to say yeah yeah Thomas, I think that's right. You are you do have kind of a house elf vibe. Those are wizard slaves. That was that was the end of uh, any workplace relationship that I would describe as familial. Uh, that was the end of any fun in the Slack. That was when I became an, an anti-capitalist. That's when you went Joker on Slack. Yeah, my Joker arc was just uh, deleting Slack from my phone. <laughs> I, during the quarantine, our workplace did, like, an outfit slack where you can put, like, mirror selfies, basically, of your outfits, and it got so sad so quickly because people stopped getting dressed, like, in October, (laughs) November, (laughs) and then it was just dead quiet. (laughs) No more, like, polka dot socks or whatever people were up to. I would feel so much pressure. I would be like, guys, I I haven't bought clothes in nine-plus months. Yeah. I also didn't have a good selfie mirror for most of the time that I've lived in Los Angeles. So that's all of that is a huge no for me. I agree. All right, Bethy, should we rein it in and get the big question out of the way? Yeah, let's get the big question out of the way. Maddie, what is your relationship to watching bar watching bars? Watching movies in bars? Is that a thing you like to do? Is are you like you guys are fucking weird? What's your vibe? I would say I probably have never watched a full movie in a bar, but I feel like I've seen, obviously, music videos. And the one funny thing that happened to me recently is, like, two months ago, I was in, like, a bar in remote Mexico, and there were guys earnestly watching the OJ trial um, at, like, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Not the FX um, show, the actual trial? No, like, Just the actual like trial um, in a bar, and I thought that was really funny. Um <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, that's that's a choice. Um, I am I gobsmacked I by this. <laughs> yeah, really interesting. And like, it was in English. And yeah, and no subtitles. But I was like, wow. Were they reciting lines from like the prosecutor back at the TV? Or were they experiencing it for the first time? I think they probably seemed like they just found out about it. <laughs> <laughs> Could you tell if it was like... <laughs> cut down like a highlight reel or whether it was just like this is all of it or or, did you know if could you see how boring was it (laughs) i guess is my question i was like literally johnny cochran i think making like a opening defense or something i was like this is wild that's incredible this is the craziest thing i've heard on this podcast (laughs) thus far (laughs) 
<laughs> um, it was really yeah like that's fascinating i was really i was gonna ask all questions but i was like let them experience um the inspiration behind the fx show organically um but i don't think i've ever like watched a full movie at a bar i feel like fast and furious is always on at bars mm. wait 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 are we talking are we talking the fast and the furious the first one or are we talking about number four which is called fast and furious <laughs> this is a distinction for me at least I could not tell you the difference. I think I'd probably mistake them. Fair enough. If Letty lives, it's the Fast and the Furious. If Letty, quote unquote, dies, it's Fast and Furious. Did you guys do the new one? Yeah. No. No, same. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> I had a I had a great time. I went with recent podcast guest Ben Meckler, and they had a great time. I think it's a, a, a rollicking good time at the movies. I don't know that it's the best one, but it's in the top half. At my clickbait job, I recently wrote a The Ending of Fate of the Furious Explained article without having seen Fate of the Furious. <laughs> There's nothing to explain. <laughs> I managed to write about 2,000 words on it. It's there. What what grade did you get? A plus, baby. It's on the site. I got paid my money. I did great. Oh. Did you go to the 4D experience of the final movie, Thomas? No, I've actually never been to uh, the the forty. That's the shit where the chairs rock yes. and they like splash you with water. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, but I'd like to have that experience. Me too. I had a friend who got blackout drunk and then fell asleep in one of them, and then just what had water sprayed on her when she was sleeping, like wine drunk. That's really Wait. funny. Yeah. So the forty theaters actually squirt water at you, like yes. Universal style. Yeah. No. Like- that's fucked up. Is it a regal thing? Is it limited to regal cinemas? I'm not sure. I don't know. Hmm. There also must be kind of like some kind of safety waiver, I feel. I don't know. It could it be dangerous in any way, possibly. I don't think you're getting like the G's that are necessary to have like a liability waiver. You're not like yeah. risking a heart attack or anything. Maybe staff from getting a splash <laughs> in the face with movie theater water. <laughs> This is why I uh, don't do the 4D experience, because it's got to be a waiver-worthy chair-shaking experience. (laughs) I want want to be offered life insurance when I enter the movie theater, William Castle style. Yeah, if there's no danger, I'm not... I'm not interested. I want to do, like, a 4D movie experience, but for, like, Phantom Thread. Oh! Yes! (laughs) Like, a really... (laughs) Or her or something. Is the 4D experience of Phantom Thread that they serve you a meal that is just not quite to your liking? And they gaslight you because they're like, <laughs> you already paid for this or something. It's in Smell-O-Vision, so you get like the scent of the mushrooms, but you also get the scent of the bile when he's just like throwing up for half of the movie. I actually, I think I had the Phantom Thread 4D experience two weeks ago when I saw Clute at the New Beverly because I uh, ate a hot dog from the concession stand that gave me diarrhea. Um, really? And I missed 10 minutes of the second act. Damn. That's it. That's the one. But there was no one there to take care of me, so I guess it was not quite. I think Phantom Thread is my annihilation. If Annihilation is Thomas's annihilation, Phantom Thread is my annihilation, as far as like the most recent movie that has made like the top five, top ten zone. Interesting. That one does it for me. I certainly love them both. I would say that Annihilation is going to, like, get a cult status, like, in the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was I think panned early on. For sure. Yeah. 
Should we should we get into it? Should we get into yeah. this movie Annihilation? That was me trying to seg. It didn't go great. I'm sorry. No, I actually I thought it was <laughs> really fucking good. Um so <laughs> a- Alex Garland was around for years before he was directing movies. You know, he wrote Twenty Eight Days Later, he wrote Sunshine, which is great. He wrote Never Let Me Go. He really established himself as uh, an exceptional sci-fi screenwriter, um, and then he really burst onto the scene with Ex Machina, which is a movie I quite like. Um, most recently with his show Devs, which I also think is pretty fucking great. But Annihilation, to me, is his masterpiece. Um, and sometimes on this show, we give, you know, a, a deep production history, or we lend a bunch of context to um, uh, whatever it is we happen to be talking about. But Annihilation is a movie that that moves me largely on a level of feeling, and so I... I I just want to hear from Maddie why you chose this, what this movie means to you, and then we can all pinball around for a while. Oh, yeah. I I genuinely love this movie and feel so moved by it. I When I first saw it, I really... I feel like around the time, like, Arrival, there was, like, all these sci-fi movies coming out that are really interesting because they didn't have, like, a villain or, like, a rooting team. And it's more just kind of, like, a thumb roll about, like, the internal self. And so I like how this movie is ultimately about self-destruction and like the fear of self. And it's, it's cause when it first came out, I think Paramount tried to bury it because they didn't really know what it was. They did. And so they didn't advertise it, but it's, yeah, it's like, it's like a movie about destruction and like metaphysics. And it's really beautiful. And I just was really moved by it when I first saw it. The, Paramount Burial is one of the more fascinating things to me because uh, David Ellison at Skydance, who is a man who inherited a ton of wealth and doesn't know how to tell a story, really didn't like the movie. And his biggest note was that Natalie Portman was not likable and he wanted to remove the affair from the movie. He he didn't want that to be a quality of the protagonist, which is moronic when each of these characters have a self-destructive impulse and that is a big part of hers and that's what leads her to the shimmer and that is this this part of herself that she has to tease out and better understand through this process to remove that you you negate that character entirely i think it also seemed like the trailer tried to build this movie as like natalie portman was going into the shimmer to save her husband and in the end, her husband's kind of, like, inconsequential because she's really just facing herself. And I think that's, like, such an interesting move to do with, like, a female-led horror movie. Totally. Bethy, sorry, you had a you had a note about that. <clears throat> oh, uh... <laughs> I didn't like the affair. I, I whispered that. I, I didn't like... I didn't... I found... Okay. I appreciate what you're saying as far as the affair being her self-destructive impulse that she needs to confront the way that the other people in the shimmer need to do that. I see that when you're saying that now, that makes a lot of sense. But when I was watching it, I, the affair immediately bumped me and made me feel a little bit like this is a high school drama or like not high school, college, college, like Ibsen play adaptation of like a, a, a fancy play about the feelings of people um, whereas I thought I was much more interested in like the broader strokes notion, like this more 
heady and less emotional idea that our death is inside of us at all times. And I guess centering it on romantic love took it away from even the primacy of life and death for me. It made it a little bit too understandable and I was hoping it could stay more oblique and more cerebral. I found the movie like too relatable. Like I didn't relate to it, but I thought it was trying to ground it in human emotions. And I think I was more interested in animal fear. Hmm. Yeah. To me, to me, it doesn't feel like the movie. And also I I watched this movie disclaimer. I saw this four times in the theaters. I've watched this several times at home. I, I really have spent some time with Annihilation. To me, it doesn't feel like it's centered on a romantic relationship. To me, it feels like it is centered on her. And she is centered on her. And I think that she feels uh, an intense guilt about that, knowing that he is aware of the relationship and the sort of division this has created between them. And that's what drives her to the shimmer is this sense of obligation, but it's much, much more about an internal struggle. I don't, I don't ever really feel like their romance is especially foregrounded. I agree with you 80%. I I think that the, the primacy that our society puts on romantic attachment and on love makes the cheating so much bigger than it needs to be it's like there's this concept in terry pratchett's fantasy books about the idea of of reality being a rubber sheet and certain things are like a stone weight that warps reality around it and in western narrative heterosexual sing like monogamous love is one of those really reality warping stones and by putting making the affair something that's teased out like in the middle and like why he went into the reach in the first place it felt it, it was it was it it felt like it was stealing from everything that i was liking about the movie i saw that almost as like a misdirect because i thought the movie was going to be focused on romantic love and the fact that it made like a left turn especially the very end the climax where she sees her husband and he has like a different accent and like a different persona. It's like the disembodiment of like identity and love and how it's all very fluid. I loved the ending. I liked that too. And I agree with what you're saying there, Maddie, a hundred percent. Yeah. That's, that's, that's kind of my feeling as well, Maddie. And I I think there's something. So I guess this, this movie reminds me a bit of picnic at hanging rock, Bethy, I think on a level of, of cosmic horror. And I think that everything is sort of so zoomed out and conceptual that I didn't get as hung up on that, but, but it, that whole arc with her, there's like, there's something in the movie about surrender, um, and just sort of accepting this tendency towards self-destruction. And, and, and there's this like, transcendental possibility of like wonderment and beauty in decay it's like she falls in love with this or 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 she sees the possibility for new love in this presence of decay and this weird alien ecological idea within this vessel of her husband it's like she's she's so much more interested in that intellectually than she ever could have been in him as a person like to me it just feels like it's about 
her and her job and her fascinations and herself. Like, like that, that feels subversive to me, but maybe I'm bringing too much to the movie. I think <laughs> I, w- before we started this, I sent a text to uh, Thomas. There's just the screenshot of Natalie Portman fighting like the half formed replicant version of herself. It was like me and Thomas arguing about, about <laughs> annihilation. And I think that is actually happening right now in that I agree with both of you about the things that are good about this movie. I see them and I honor them and I like the things that are good about this movie. I I am still a little hung up about the things that hung me up about this movie. Like it's it's really like a 70/30 or an 80/20. I'm just not whole hog. I'm partial hog for this movie. Your whole mutant hog or or your your partial yeah. partial mutant hog. Yeah, I'm half hog, half alligator, half Natalie Portman, I guess. Well, something that I, I think is incredible about this movie is the bear that has the victim screams inside of it. And then there's that really great mm-hmm. quote by Tessa Thompson where she's like, it's so sad to like know that your fear and your anger and your like pain is a part of you that lives on in that this like universe. And that's like, I think an essential yeah. fear that everyone has is like, are you your anger? Are you your happiness? Like what about you? is enacting the world. It really echoed for me the like the twist ending for Peeping Tom. Spoilers, I guess, for Peeping Tom, a movie that's 60 years old. In that movie, the killer, he stabs you with a knife, well, like a, a projectile, it's like a, the thing, like a, the guy that you put at the end of a rifle. Bayonet. Thank you. Yeah. He puts a bayonet on the end of his camera, And then he puts a mirror around the bayonet. So when he's stabbing you, you are watching yourself be killed. So the last thing you see is him objectifying you in your fear. And it's like you aren't even the protagonist of your own death. By holding up a mirror to your scared face, you are rendered to just your most negative emotions. You are only what is happening to you. You are not yourself. Yeah, I, th- I think that's I think that's an interesting comparison, and it makes me think about kind of two categories of these characters who go into the Shimmer. There are the ones who are sort of uh, overtaken by it in kind of a violent, involuntary way, and then there are the ones who sort of own it. Like Tessa Thompson's character, for example, owns sort of the 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 potential beauty of just sort of becoming one with this strange space. She's not. She's not killed by it. She doesn't really kill herself. She just sort of surrenders to it in a very peaceful way. And then you have Ventress, who has... I mean, I think we'll probably talk about the ending pretty extensively, but I think the way that Ventress goes on this incredible journey as a woman with terminal cancer to deconstruct her body in the most radical, psychedelic way possible is like horrifying and also fucking cool and like weirdly hopeful it's like there there is an alternative to pain there is an alternative to death in this space if you're willing to like seek out the new but uh i I feel like i'm getting a little ahead of myself so maddie if someone has not seen annihilation before how would you describe this movie to them how would you characterize kind of the bare bones of the plot 
It's kind of, I recommend this movie to people and they've not liked it and it's really broken my heart because I'm like, I can't talk to this person again. Um, I'm going to Ted Lasso <laughs> toxicity, but um, I would say it's like a horror movie, sci-fi that's really about like larger questions of personhood and identity and acceptance and self-destruction. It's hard because it's like, I maybe the... I feel like the plot doesn't offer a lot, but I think the interpretation of it and like you said, the tone of like the tone and the feelings of it are really like a incredible experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just just to give people a quick flyover, so uh, Natalie Portman plays a woman named Lena who is ex-military. She's now a biology professor. Is that correct? Um, and her husband, who is still in the military in a strange special ops force, goes missing while on a secret mission. He returns. He is not at all himself. And she then travels into this strange ecological disaster stone, uh, disaster stone, um, disaster zone with a group of other scientific professionals who just want to make sense of what this thing is. And they go in in a very literal minded, objective way. And the entire experience is rendered radically subjective for each of them. They have a very different experience and they find themselves on their own very unique journey of self-destruction and also self-discovery. They, they, they weirdly overlap in this movie. Um, I don't know that I can describe it better than that. Was that terrible? I, I also was like, it's so hard. It's so like ephemeral and <laughs> ethereal and hard. Should I try? Please. Please. Yeah, Bethy. Well, I, I would love one that. More. So they go into this thing. It's called the Shimmer. Basically, at the beginning, you see what looks like maybe uh, a meteor hitting a lighthouse. And from there, like weirdness ensues. Um, and in this shimmer, we come to find out that the shimmer is a prism, but where a prism refracts light that is takes hard white light and breaks it down into its various rays uh, that each look a different color to our human eyes. This prism the shimmer refracts dna plant dna human dna animal dna and basically creates new life that destabilizes old life so if you like what you are the shimmer is bad but if you're interested in finding out what change could be like the shimmer is more morally neutral um so these these women go into the shimmer they uh, meet some fucked up animals and some fucked up plants and some of them get killed by some of those fucked up animals and plants and they each sort of figure out their attitude towards change, towards their own death, towards entropy and in the end Natalie Portman's character is the only one that is still alive and she has a gorgeous dance with a construct of the shimmer that is mirroring herself but is also sort of a protoplasmic like the abyss character yeah that's that's great um and yeah and so that's kind of the very literal framework of the movie and then i think most of what excites me is all of the interesting thematic ideas that can happen in that space it's a really 
really strange world and, and, and really fertile soil for cool philosophy. And a lot of it is really bleak, but alternately hopeful, kind of depending on how you look at it. Um, I find it to be very exciting. I also thought, like, with the first time I saw it, there was, like, an interesting gender critique of, like, this very male instinct to kind of fight something that you feel is, like, threatening status quo. And there's... The women, in some ways, succeeded differently because there's this idea of, like, um, compromise and nurturing and kind of, like, um, more of, like, a feminine energy. Yeah, and the way near the end of the movie, the, like, male interrogator says like the thing tried to fight you and Nellie Portman responds well it was mirroring my energy like I tried to fight it so it tried to fight me back I don't think it wanted anything something I very much appreciate about this movie is the the assertion that like assigning motivation to natural phenomena whether that's aliens or animals or whatever is like this human construct that we're laying on top of reality like that's not necessarily not everything wants something and that's like on that's interesting for a movie to put down because that's like the opposite of like the first one of the first rules that you get from screenwriting class is like everybody should have a motivation and everything you do should be underlying that motivation and a lot you know uh illustrating that motivation so that you understand these characters wants and emotions and it's like well sometimes shit just fucking happens and i like that this movie lets shit just fucking happen yeah i think that's uh i think that's really really fascinating and and there's a line of dialogue that's basically you know i don't i don't think the shimmer intends to harm i think it just wants to change um and and I don't, maybe that's hard for audiences to wrap their head around because there's not a, a big bad. And, like, sometimes change is frightening, but, like, if you embrace it, maybe it's cool. Um, that, to me, feels like kind of what Annihilation is all about. But, like, the concept of the Shimmer is so fascinating because it's this all-encompassing dome. It's also this singular alien creature and this weird kind of inexplicable energy source that lives at the base of the lighthouse it's it's sort of all of these things at once and in on some level it is natalie portman when she leaves and it collapses in its most recognizable form it is a weird it is a really weird concept i kind of can't believe paramount paid for this movie but i think that's like so cool because i mean we said before it's like i don't feel like movies like this are allowed to get made anymore because it doesn't have a clear philosophy and it doesn't have like a good and a bad and a clear moral takeaway. Um, and like all of the characters are in, in a lot of ways like, acting selfishly on screen. Right. But I, but yeah. And, and I think it's in a way that's recognizable, right? I think there are studio executives who watch this movie and they're like, Oh, these characters aren't likable. These aren't traditional protagonists, but it's like, no, you recognize a, a, a part of yourself in this movie. There is a part of you that is self-destructive beyond reason. There are ways that every person gets in their own way, often within kind of a particular lane. And this movie is about five people who are sort of forced to follow that to its most logical conclusion. I wonder if that's one of my reservations with this movie, is that I I find the sort of, like, 
Freudian idea that everybody has a self-destructive impulse. I don't know if I believe that. I think it's more complicated than that. I'm not sure people are always... The things that, that like, psychoanalysts identified as self-destructive impulses, I think, can be explained differently. I don't necessarily think that people are always trying to self-sabotage. I think it could be a sense of, like, having shorter picture. I don't know. It just, it doesn't feel like the right framework. And I think part of the problem, part of the joy, the entire joy, honestly, of like science fiction is the ability to make literal concepts that are figurative, concepts that are theoretical in the current world that we live in now, whether it's projecting a interesting future or literalizing problem of society as like a fucking monster uh that's like the joy of it but for this i just don't know if i buy the idea that all humans are inherently self-destructive so maybe that's part of what's bumping me i yeah i mean i don't i don't know that annihilation is so literal like i I don't know that that's necessarily it's hard and fast thesis but that is what i take away from it obviously the characters talk about self-destruction but they themselves are people who are uniquely self-destructive i think whatever you call it the movie speaks to a decay that is present in all things right it's it's aging it's 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 just sort of like uh losing your youth and finding yourself on a strange path with strange impulses um Maddie, I want to hear your thoughts. Sorry. Oh, no, I, like, I very much agree. And I think, like, the ending was so terrifying because it's, like, the idea that, like, your identity and your personhood and, like, what you believe about yourself is not fixed and it's very muddied and it's, like, something that is constantly in flux. And I think that's, like, a very um, frightening feeling for a lot of people that you have no center, essentially. And that is, like, very cynical. Um, but I think the movie overall is hopeful. Yeah, I I I think so too. I Bethy, I think we almost are flipping on this one because with Picnic at Hanging Rock, I find that movie to be deeply frightening, and you find it to be kind of comforting, right? Joyous, almost. Yeah. Yeah, and Annihilation has been kind of a journey for me watching it several times. I think there are things about it that are really frightening, but I do really find comfort in this idea of surrender and acceptance of self and of change and existing within a context. Like, you you are the product of all of the things around you. You are affected by all of the things around you. Like, there's no way to remove yourself from that entirely. And the sooner you accept this idea that your particles are refracted through all things with which you interact you can ultimately find peace, even if that's frightening, even if that makes your retina sort of glow in a weird fucked up way. Like, uh, I, I, I think the movie does speak to a sort of radical acceptance and like finding a center, I guess. And also what you were saying before is that like nature and the universe is ultimately indifferent to you. And it's not so much like a scheme against you or like nature and medicine because I, I read a book on immunology recently, and what they talked about is that, like, a lot of medicine is in the framework of, like, viruses attacking your body and building a defense and killing. Um, and it's, like, that's actually not a helpful way to think about immunology because, in truth, like, viruses are looking to reproduce, but it's not 
um, a good versus evil. But I think this movie really condenses that idea in a way that I find comforting. That it's like the world is just benevolent to you and you exist in it, but it's not. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah, I don't know. I think we're all agreeing. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I think that's true too. But it's because fun. I... It's fun to riff about it. <laughs> but the things that that do bump me about this movie are sort of the man made constructs that are layered on top of this ultimate acceptance of change and of there not being a self and of entropy, like a notion of humans having a, a self-destructive impulse is like a very human construct because it makes you the protagonist again. Whereas you can want to live as much as you want. You're still going to die is like the worst sentence I can think of to say, like it's, it's right, right fucking there. Um, and like the, the, the affair that I find so like distracting, garish almost it's like a weird that is that is so weird pot. to me bethy it, it feels, is so it weird sucks. to me that you have that feeling it, it it to me it is it is so rich and she has such an independence and obviously the movie's not upbeat but like i think it grants her a real agency that i think is cool it feels like a to me it feels like a wham poster in an i am pay building it's like I don't know how else to explain it. I got a sense that she had a fear because she was feeling neglected because her husband was like prioritizing science or like his pursuits over her. And then she got to do the same by entering the shimmer. I no, I agree with that. I just, it's more, it's more, it's making it too literal. It's over explaining. And that's also another thing like the DNA, the print, the shimmer is a prism that refracts DNA felt like a little bit too much science gack. And I know that it's just a theory that's put forward by Tessa Thompson's character. Like we don't know for sure that's exactly what's happening, but it's, it's honestly like the things that bump me about this movie are the things that feel like studio notes. It's like, give it, give it a love story. Give it an exp, a reason for why all this is happening. I don't think it has a love story. I think the only stuff that feels like studio notes is the framing device where Natalie Portman's being interviewed. That 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 is the stuff to me that feels like a studio trying to lend uh, a, a framework for understanding to something that is otherwise kind of obtuse. But to me, like I think, I think the concept of uh, the shimmer refracting particles—it's like yeah, it's literal science, whatever. But like it does. It does ask some really interesting questions, and I think the further you get away from the really literal ideas of the movie, I think it's so ripe for interpretation. I just, I, I agree with you that, like, getting mired in some of those literal details can make the movie feel, like, a little overwritten or, like, a little too, like, wacky sci-fi conceptual, but, like, to me, there's just so much going on. I think that, I agree there's a lot going on, it's just that the the little like concrete facts snag it in a way that at picnic and hanging rock by giving absolutely no explanation leaves a lot more room for the questions yeah that's all i know i think that's i think that's fair um i also should issue a disclaimer i love the movie annihilation (laughs) um so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm coming at this from a place of uh, wanting to defend this thing I think is rich and beautiful and uh, 
one of the defining works of our time. I also like it's quite literally physically beautiful. Like the movie itself is stunning, and even like her body double in the lighthouse, I thought was like so interesting and like just a texture I've never seen before. Um, it's really cool. I thought it was really interesting the way in in that scene with the body double that whoever was in charge of the CGI or it, like the the body. It's 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 not CG. It's not CG. It's it's a, it's a woman in a suit. It's Sonoya Mizuno. Oh, it's just a woman in a suit. Okay, that explains it because it's not mirroring her exactly. It's mirroring her pretty close, and I thought that oh, was right. so cool. Yeah, that's one of my favorite choices in the movie, right? Absolutely. Like they they have the budget to have her reflected on an axis, but instead it is another person, and there is a slight delay. And something I noticed this time that blew me the fuck away, and maybe this is only interesting to an Annihilation head, is that that woman is a, a distinguished ballet dancer. That's Sonoya Mizuno, who also stars in Devs. But she plays the student who follows Natalie Portman out of her oh. classroom at the beginning of the film and says, you know... I worry that I'm not learning as quickly as the other students. I worry that I'm lagging behind, that it's easy for that, or like it, that it's easier for them. And, and, and Lena insists, no, it's not. You're fine. You're doing well. But this idea that like, obviously, like you only know this if you're paying attention to casting choices and these production ideas. But, but the fact that that student who is going to eventually presumably become a, a teacher like her is also cast as this body double like th- that is interesting to me and i can't even articulate it in a way that's meaningful but like i love it mm-hmm. yeah that's fascinating i didn't know that i also just think like the aesthetic choice of having a lighthouse be where the final um climax happens is so interesting of like what the lighthouse represents in like culture and like i just read Virginia Woolf's The Lighthouse to be annoying. And it is, like, in in the book, it's, like, they think of it as this great thing, and then it, and it, as he gets older, he, like, comes closer to it and realizes it's not that great. And that's, like, so heartbreaking. And, so, yeah, in some way, I think there's, like, a loose collect- connection there. Yeah, I appreciate also the way that the spiral staircase of the lighthouse, like, mirrors the helix of DNA and the fact that the reach has, like, doubled the lighthouse because as far as it goes into the sky it now goes down into the ground i think that's really powerful and that's like something that's in the books by jeff vandermeer and it's very cool have have either of you read the southern reach trilogy i started annihilation i did not finish it i i love it i i i want to stick to the movie mostly but like i think that book is a delight to read and it's really interesting to put it in conversation with the movie because that book relies so much on like elliptical like descriptions and really sort of disorienting structure you never know like quite where you are in time you also never know quite what's being described but it's constantly talking around things in a way that makes them so much more frightening because you because you can't quite uh, see what is being described. But uh, in Alex Garland uh, adapting the novel, he said that he didn't want it to be a literal adaptation. He read it one time, and then he adapted his experience of reading the book. And I think that's really cool. I think that adds another layer of this being such a personal story. And it is 
you know, refracted through his prism as a reader and as a filmmaker. Um, I don't know. That's just, this is, this is me drinking two beers (laughs) at a bar and talking too much. I think that's a great choice. I like that. I, that he's adapting the vibes instead. Have, uh, either of you been to a meow wolf installation, whether like in Vegas or Santa Fe? No. What is that? So there's this, like artist it's not really a collective because it's like a corporate entity but um there are these two at the moment i think there's going to be one in denver soon but they're these two different um art installation like it's not an instagram museum it's like better than an instagram museum but it has some of that energy it's like an art installation crazy museum thing one of which is in santa fe the other one is in las vegas that feel very much like being immersed in Annihilation. So the first one in Santa Fe that Meow Wolf is called The House of Eternal Return. And it's about like, it, you you walk into this like giant sort of warehouse space and there's just like a huge craftsman house there and it looks normal as hell. But then you go into it and like the ceiling is rippling and like the it has like weird noises coming out of it. And if you crawl into the fireplace, you will go into an ice tunnel and find a mastodon. And if you go into the refrigerator, you will walk into uh, like some sort of like light tunnel. And like, as you explore this house, you find secret rooms that enter into a different world. And you, you eventually sort of understand that, this house belongs to this scientist who accidentally sort of like pierced the void between dimensions and lost their child in that space between dimensions. And so it's like, the more you explore the space, the more you understand the human tragedy of it. And also the more you see like sick installations by cool artists. Yeah. That seems and cool. That's, that's what Annihilation felt like to me too. It was like, it had very big Meow Wolf vibes to me. Interesting. I also like, yeah, I feel like the movie like plays with pacing in such an interesting way. Like it's horror movie and then it's like very slow at times and very like, um, wistful almost and it like keeps in emotion very well. That's really interesting. I agree completely. Also, Maddie, I I guess this is more a question for you just because you've seen it. Yes. Presumably a few times, but. Do you feel like the movie moves very quickly, that it feels shorter than it is? I always feel like at the point where Tessa Thompson surrenders herself to the shimmer and Lena goes off on her journey to the lighthouse, the movie just sort of rockets to the end. Like there's something otherworldly about... I guess this is maybe a different pacing idea, but the movie just like zips along for me. Cause I literally never remember how she gets to the lighthouse. I like similar to what you said. I feel like after the Tessa Thompson scene, it kind of concludes in this interesting way. But yeah, no, I, I, I agree with everything you're saying. And I think there's an interplay between the structure of the movie and the way that the score sort of transforms as the movie goes on. It's, it's, Jeff Barrow and Ben Salisbury. So it's like, I, I love Portishead. It's exciting to see them scoring movies. But like, it starts out with these like acoustic organic instrumentals and progressively sort of like warps into this weird like sub bass warble that culminates in this really iconic annihilation sound that's almost like diegetic character noise in the lighthouse. But it, that, that traces along with the structure. I, I'm having a hard time articulating anything about this movie, but. <laughs> I think 
that that pacing thing is sort of part of also what I find almost more engaging for me for Meow Wolf is that this is really this is for me a question of medium that um, the things that I don't like about Annihilation are the things that are the most movie like like feature studio film like and then the things that I like about it are the things that are most art installation like and so there are things that that hit harder for me when I'm experiencing them in four dimensions crawling through a fireplace. And it's, it's a little unfair to compare them, but it also makes a certain amount of sense because as you're saying, like movies like this don't get made anymore. And even the version of it that does get made still gives me like a little bit of blue balls, just a little bit of the theoretical blue balls. And I don't know, it's nobody's it's like paramount's fault <laughs> it's 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 the nature of art is like and it's also like the idea of refraction as we were talking about the idea of refraction that like how this story is hitting my brain like my physical meat body it's not hitting in the exact same way that it is hitting y'all's i guess like the last uh, the last movie i think for this that was like so high concept that I think also didn't do well with Mother. I think people compare that movie a lot to Annihilation. Mother. Did you guys see Mother? I I really, really, really liked that movie. Oh, cool, okay. And yeah, it feels like a summer movie where it's like high concept and it kind of has like these broader ideas about humanity, but then general audiences don't like it. And it's it's unfortunate because I feel like we won't get as many of these movies anymore. Yeah, Mother was also a Paramount movie, interestingly enough. Yeah. Um, willing, willing to sort of take swings on quote-unquote auteurs, like, way past the era of people doing that. I think Annihilation's, like, a better movie, but I think Mother's really fascinating and strange. Yeah, and they're both getting at these same larger questions, but, like, from different perspectives, like... I think Darren Aronofsky is mostly getting at himself in, in Mother <laughs> in a deeply unflattering way, and I think the reason that movie is so fascinating and, in my opinion, cool is that I don't think he realized how much he was making a movie about himself until it was too late, which is why in the press tour he's like, no, this movie's a... Uh, it's actually about the environment. It's not about how I am sort of uh, toxic and have a really problematic relationship with my muses, and that's what fuels my art. But that seems like it might be another episode. But this movie is kind of about the environment. Yeah, among a million fucking other things. <laughs> no, yeah, no, 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 I'm no, not, no. I'm, I'm sorry. just saying I'm it's, not like, trying it's, to it's so much. be reductive. Uh, yeah, but much like some of the other movies that we've watched recently, it does feel it's speaking to climate collapse and how you are just supposed to be like a person who like wears right. shirts and goes to school or whatever while uh witnessing cataclysmic change and the idea that like you can no longer be yourself or exist as yourself with all these changes going on around you right and also like whatever concept you had of yourself before no longer exists i mean like this is this is a thing that people talk about a lot which is that like you are for all intents and purposes not the person you were 10 years ago because like all of your cells have recycled like you are this kind of new thing and annihilation just sort of takes that to another level but it's like more of a 
It's a little more of a peaceful idea. I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe in this pandemic world with, you know, impending environmental collapse, this idea that like you can find a new way to be within this sort of horrifying, indifferent natural world that, that that's comforting to me. Mm-hmm. I don't remember whether I talked about this in the picnic at Hanging Rock episode or not, but uh, I was raised by a behavioral psychologist who hammered into my head that there's no such thing as a self. Like you are not there. You, you tell yourself a story of a core self, but you're actually just a bunch of behaviors wearing the same outfit. You are not, there's no such thing as like a person that has like core beliefs and tenets and stuff. You're just a series of behaviors was like what I was raised to believe. And, um, that I feel like is like really hit home when Cass is saying like every lifetime feels lifetimes ago. <laughs> like, yeah, we've all been lots of people, lots of times keep up is sort of like her energy. <laughs> and I found that really refreshing. That also feels, that feels almost like a socialist idea that there is no like individualistic experience and that everything we're all, there's like essentially like a larger conscious that we're all feeding off of all the time to become who we are. And like, I feel, I, yeah, I feel like that's, like, a very radical, cool idea. It's, like, it's, uh, there was this story about, uh, this guy who, like, fucked up to the woods and, like, stole food from cabins and stuff, and he just, like, lived as a hermit for, I think, 20 years, and he was eventually caught, and this guy from BuzzFeed interviewed him and was asking for, like, uh, insights that a hermit should be able to get from like gleaning the world from just living in nature you should know something about reality and he was like well sometimes it got really cold and i felt it was useful to put on more clothes and other times it was really hot and i was like well that's nothing and it's like well that's because humans aren't humans if they're not surrounded by other people everybody is a conversation nobody is a monologue everybody is bouncing off everybody else it's refraction as you're saying insane <laughs> like wow <laughs> no but especially like at the end when he like inherits all these different accents um i think that was like yeah that was crazy yes and then like just incredibly fascinating point of like you constantly are inheriting the personas of everyone around you all the time did uh did either of you this is like the dopiest question i've ever asked but i'm comfortable asking it because we're an hour into an episode no one's listening who's not on board. Did either of you read Spinoza in college? Like Spinozan philosophy? No. I feel like I did a little bit because one of my favorite like childhood heroes, Jeeves from Jeeves and Worcester, was a huge <laughs> Spinoza fan. Yeah, I, I think a lot about Spinoza when uh, watching this movie because Spinoza has this concept of the world and existence as being like, god's unfolding it's this continuous unfolding of this like omnipotent idea but annihilation feels like the very secular version of that it's like there is no god but there is still this unfolding and it is sort of like without logic and affecting people it's just sort of this like this this massive energy that continues and affects people and things and Maybe that's stupid, but it means something to me. Well, it's it's brought up in the movie because there's that conversation earlier on where um, Lena and Kane 
talk about whether or not God makes mistakes. And Lena kind of points to like telomeres and the idea that there is like this, that cellular death is written into our DNA as like a mistake. But what the movie presupposes is maybe it isn't that, that like we are very invested in the way things are, but that doesn't give us that blinds us to how things might be. It is like this movie I feel is weirdly relevant to like COVID era politics and just like in quarantine how you lost like a sense of self because like you said you weren't interacting with other people and therefore we're having no new experiences and yeah it's very interesting. Do you have you guys have you guys smoked weed before? <laughs> Crazy. I feel like we all sound stoned. <laughs> Maybe twice. <laughs> I, Maybe. Yeah, I I have mixed feelings. Um Bethy, the yes, thing you said about mistakes, I, I, I like that. I happen to like it. Annihilation is a very stoned movie, and that it's like, I don't know, the concept of a mistake is kind of misguided because it presupposes a certain level of order that is not there. <laughs> there, there are, there are no mistakes without fate, without order. Without intention. If there's no such thing as a goal, then there's no such thing as a mistake. Yeah, so. Alex Garland had no goal in making wow. this movie, therefore he couldn't have made a mistake. It's perfect. Everybody shut up. <laughs> this might be <laughs> This like might be a dumb question as likely besides the point, but do you guys think of this as like a feminist movie or that it has like anything to say about gender? It was definitely marketed that way. Yeah. Because I almost feel like when it first came out, it was marketed as, like, this movie with four female leads. And then I think the heart of the movie can be read as, like, pessimistic. I think I'm more interested in what you two have to say for reasons I can't possibly articulate um, on this particular I think it is more humanist than feminist in a way that people, when people say that, they think they mean. But they're actually just misogynists. But this one is for real, just actually humanist and not feminist. Right. Which I think is cool. I think like there was an option, obviously, by like studio notes to give this like a girl boss edge and it didn't do that. And it like truly was just like a very human story. Yeah, that, that's like an interesting because I think it's really hard also to like have a movie with four female leads that doesn't in some way capitalize on like um, gender in that way. It never feels disingenuous to me. It, it never feels yeah. like affectation. But I mean, part of it is like, in the novel, it was women. It's not like the studio are like, it's girl time. But it never right, right. feels like they milk it in a way that feels cheap. Yeah. Maddie, I, I think it's interesting you invoke Arrival at the beginning of this conversation, because I often think of these two movies as being kind of two sides of the same coin. And, and maybe it's because they came out around the same time. And there's some of the more interesting and engaging sci-fi of recent years to me. Right. But Arrival is like the very warm and giving side of the coin. And Annihilation is like so bleak and cold but i think if you're willing to like dig through it 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 offers more i think i think annihilation is like ultimately more philosophical more ripe for interpretation but i i like both of those movies i also feel like arrival came out right when trump was elected and i feel like there was this need by think pieces to be like this is a metaphor for immigration and how we should like embrace immigration and essentially like 
immigrants or things we don't know about or just want to see in the same way we do. And so for that reason, I feel like I had like an allergic reaction to the movie and didn't like it as much. And like you said, I think arrived, or I think Annihilation is more rich with like interesting questions. Yeah, it's like the the way as we were just saying, like the the way that this movie was marketed as being more girl bossy than it is is partially because it was coming up when like Time's Up was fomenting and like the Me Too movement. So like this for a female protagonist was like really touted in the same way that Arrival was a little bit skewed by that immigration narrative as well. And it again goes back to the idea of refraction that like you can't observe any of this stuff in a vacuum. I feel like I would be remiss to wrap this up without talking about the third act of this movie, even if just on a visceral level. I I love this movie. I've said it, I think, at least one time since we've been recording. <laughs> but there is, there is a moment where Lena leaves her backpack on the beach because she knows she won't need it anymore. And she ventures to the lighthouse, which is sort of the origin point for all of this. For the shimmer, it's where the meteor landed. It's everything. And there's something... There's that like dumb meme on Twitter where it's like the the image from Grand Theft Auto where it's like oh shit here we go but like this is the ultimate like oh shit here we go moment like she throws her backpack on she goes to the lighthouse she watches this video where her husband kills himself with a phosphorus grenade and then she ventures into the basement of a lighthouse and sees like the most complex organism possible that is capable of sort of shaping and, 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 and it affecting the world around it in whatever way it wants. And it's one of the more horrifying cosmic ideas I've ever seen visualized in a movie. I, I'm just so impacted by the third act of Annihilation. Even if I didn't like anything before that, it would be a deeply memorable movie for that big fucking swing. I completely agree. I think it's incredible. And like the, just her trying to leave the lighthouse and then being pushed down by her body double i think it's just like an incredible image yeah bethy you did like at least the back third of the movie right yes and again i liked most of the movie (laughs) (laughs) this is a this is a a fight between an a plus and a b plus b plus is good i'm just a baby about this movie i'm like in a group chat with bethy and some of our dear friends and one of them made a joke about annihilation and i'm like thinking about leaving it after all of this time we've spent together. Thomas got so mad at me for a second there in texting when I called the, the tunnel into the, the like hive of the organism a space butthole. Oh, really? <laughs> he did not appreciate that. And also, yeah, there's an, a moment where she tries to like fire off a bunch of loads into it and it doesn't do anything. And like, it's, yeah, it's incredible. That I, I also like, I, yeah, I love the Twitter memes about the last third of Annihilation. <laughs> I think they're really artistic <laughs> and avant-garde. <laughs> yeah, I think part of, like, I loved the last third of Annihilation, and I guess I wished, I understand why a big-budget movie can't be just three times as much the last third of Annihilation, right. but I would love it if there were more movies that were that more confusing, more visceral, more inexplicable. It makes me wish that Hodorowski's Dune got made. Uh, I, I, I agree with you completely. I just saw um, Leo Karras and Net, which is uh, more like Mother than anything I've seen since Mother, and that's a good 
experience seeing a movie. It's like, I, I don't even think that a third of it works and I still loved it because it's unlike nothing else. I, I think if there was an Annihilation-like movie that was entirely that third act, it'd be my favorite movie. I mean, it made me want to rewatch Holy Mountain. Oh, yeah. It was like really where it was pushing me. I remember reading the reviews of Annihilation and then a lot of critics were like, wait, what even happened in the third act? And I feel like that's such a doing such a disservice. That's also mm-hmm. such a limiting question that you have to be able to articulate literally yeah. what happened and that you can't embrace it on a level of theme and feeling. Do you think it's like a Western concept to be like obsessed with like the ending and tying themes together and tying loose ends and like symmetry in that way? Yeah, I also think, you know, a lot of those critics were reviewing a Marvel movie the week before, and then they were reviewing Annihilation, and it's like, I just think the kinds of studio fare shape the way that you think about things. Which is kind of so funny, because if anything is really breaking down the finality of endings in film, it's Marvel movies. (laughs) I mean, it's like there's no such thing as the end of a movie now, thanks to Marvel. Yeah, that's true. That's that's so funny. Thank you, Marvel, for um, upending the notion of meaningful conclusion <laughs> in perpetuity. Yeah, you finally, you finally broken the hold that teleology has had on Western society low these thousand years. <laughs> um, yeah, but I would say Annihilation is one of the best movies Marvel's produced. <laughs> I loved the after credit sequence where Doctor Strange came out of the space butthole and was like, hmm, well, this won't do. And then Nick Fury said shit. <laughs> I feel like movies, I, I'm having a hard time thinking of one, but I feel like movies have copied the Annihilation aesthetic. Like, I do think Marvel movies probably barred from the aesthetic. WandaVision. Yeah. And it's like Agatha Cave was like extremely biting Annihilation. Which itself was echoing, I wouldn't call it biting, but it had echoes of, like, Giger, uh, like, more the concept drawings for Alien and Aliens than the actual movies themselves. It felt very Giger-esque, which is partially why I was thinking about buttholes, is because, like, a lighthouse is really the penis of land. And so it was, like, a very, again, because it's all about, like, grounding the concept of eternity within the human body and that like these things change like going down to the cell represents what the entropy that'll happen to all of the universe that's why it takes place in a light hole in a lighthouse which is a sky peepee and goes into a space butthole yeah i love pee and uh, buttholes <laughs> no but i really do appreciate the way that the the Production. I feel like you're bad. No, no, I, that you don't no, appreciate. I'm not bad at you. But it's, I'm just. I'm just. I really silly. genuinely. I really genuinely appreciate the the carnality that is put into the production design via peepees and buttholes. I have to agree, and I think my Virginia Wolf take was the worst thing on it, and <laughs> that's the correct thing. <laughs> no, I, I, I think Virginia Wolf's cool. Wow, we've done it. Also, the movie The Lighthouse came out. Yeah, yeah, After? like two years later. Yes. And yet Lifehouse came out decades before, presaging That's all true, of this. yeah. Uh, Lifehouse, I think, had a really big impact on Alex Garland. <laughs> I feel like Dread is a prism filtering Lighthouse's entire discography into uh, raw mm-hmm. action. 
in a way these women are really hanging on a moment here with each other yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i feel like no i'm not going to propose a meme involving you and me and the uh ballet duality at the end of annihilation that's a bad it's <laughs> a bad idea i don't respect twitter i don't respect memes <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I give a shout out. Grace Bellman always makes these like very funny memes about like the yes, <laughs> really. She yeah. has the best. That's the best tweet I've ever seen. No competition. The one where the guys are in the studio and they're listening to a beat for the yeah. first time, and it's yeah. like the big sub bass rumble with the alien. Oh my god! Yes. I, the first time I saw that, I watched it like a dozen times. I think that was how I like became aware of Grace Spellman, who now is lovely and you know a person I know in real life. But yeah, Grace, thank you so much. She has another one with like a cat listening to headphones, and it's like. Oh, I, haven't, I haven't seen that. I will say though, I, uh, I so I watched this movie with headphones because the sound is so rich and my TV can't do it. But I had them unsynced for a moment during that like alien rumble, and my cats were in the living room, and all they needed was a second of it before the Bluetooth reconnected, and they fucking bolted. They hated it so much. It had this like terrible. <laughs> visceral effect on them but like good it's horrifying it's otherworldly yeah my sister's boyfriend claims that when he first saw the movie he saw on a plane and that sound gave him a panic attack i believe that yeah it's so iconic it is i love and it sounds nothing like earth yes yeah but this is exactly the reaction that you said your cats had to ska when you played it for them they before. They did not like, uh, was it Big Bad Voodoo Daddy in Swingers? Yeah, <laughs> they hated that. But they also just, they don't like brass. They like, we were watching Judas and the Black Messiah, which has these like really great brass stings in the score, and the cats like hated it. So they're just sounds that are not for them yet. They love the new Lord album. They're kind of... They don't want to be challenged. I have to check with Tuba to see if he's listened to it. I have not heard it. I like The Path in California, and I also kind of like Solar Power, like the title track. But the other ones, I'm yeah. like... Yeah. I'm like... Did you read the Pitchfork review of it? Mm-mm. I read the Vulture one. It was... I think the... Yeah, I was like, I agree. It's like very unchallenging, kind of like reductive. And Anyway, we don't have to, we don't have to get into Lord Discourse on our annihilation... <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's they're they're two sort of like do you want to be challenged by the art you consume or do you want to be soothed right and like reaffirmed mm-hmm. uh lord had a self-destructive impulse to make an album not as good as the ones she'd made before <laughs> she she followed her muse into the shimmer it's really her thanatos instinct coming out uh all right maddie what are we missing what what would we be fucking up to not mention before we wrap this up the deer with um what did they have growing out their antlers like flowers right like cherry blossoms yes yeah just yeah, yeah. a beautiful image yeah yeah it's really beautiful and that also i think does a really great job of encapsulating the idea that like the shimmer does not intend to harm it is simply uh, like an agent of change and and when certain ideas and species are refracted through one another they create really beautiful things and others create really horrific things but it's like it is a non-ideological force and it does it creates as much beauty as it creates terror and the last thing i'll say is crosby nash and stills at the top that's an Mm -hmm. empowering way to start a movie 20 minutes in 
incredible choice. It's very interesting that the movie has these two sort of iconic noises associated with it. One is like human voices, <laughs> human boomer voices, like really imbuing meaning into something. And then the other one is like otherworldly honks, for lack of a better word. <laughs> we, we love honking on this podcast. <laughs> That'd be a great bar name, Otherworldly Honks. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a bar trivia name if you can't get the, the, the funds together to open your own business. It's a half measure. <laughs> Maddie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. This is so fun. It was very fun to feel like I was in a freshman philosophy class again in, in the best way. Uh, yeah, no, Spinoza was uh, 101 for sure. Um, so if if listeners are like, we love Annihilation. Maddie knows what she's talking about. Where can we find her online? Where can they find you online? I'm at Personally Rich on Twitter. <laughs> and I have a great time there. <laughs> Personally Rich is also an incredible social handle. You know, it's really funny, and I've struggled with it because it was referenced to like a Kanye West tweet where he's like, I'm personally rich, but not rich rich or something. And I was like, same. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then since then I'm like there's probably some like problematic um, discourse there that one day eventually will lead to my end uh, just get as much done as you can in the meantime <laughs> yeah that's just built into the genes of Twitter don't worry right, about it right. <laughs> Bethy if people want to hear your 70-30, 80-20 ultimately positive mixed positive annihilation takes where would they find you online uh, I'm at Bethy Squires on Twitter. Nope. I'm at Bethy BSQU on Twitter and Bethy Squires on Instagram. What about you, Thomas? Um, I'm 100%. On... <laughs> yeah, I'm, I give it five out of five. It's 100% certified fresh for me. I'm uh, on Twitter at uh, handsome underscore pal. And one day I'll be off there, but uh, get it while it's good. <laughs> and the show is at movie bar pod all one word on twitter and at movie bar underscore pod on instagram we did it we did it and uh our weekly sign off as always is uh <laughs> thank you guys Watching Movies at the Bar is edited by Colin Jenkins, with show art by Lindsay Farrell, and that theme you hear at the top, that's Quentin Mulligan. <laughs>